How might teachers generate abundance and wealth with a hustle on the side? Today in the show, I speak with Dr. Sean Woodley from Teach, Hustle, Inspire. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. Many of us in education have these hobbies that are, you know, very teaching related. I know people who write curriculum, other people who facilitate professional development, some people work as a coach or a consultant, and of course you know there are those folks who say host a podcast. Dr. Sean Woodley, who is CEO and founder of Teach Hustle Inspire, is here to share his vision for the upcoming Build It On The Side conference which is a way for educators to learn some of the tools and strategies of entrepreneurial thinking. This is a powerful and thought-provoking interview that really shifted my thinking on a few things, and I know it will for you as well. So let's get right into it with Dr. Sean Woodley. Dr. Sean Woodley, I am just so grateful that you have the time to speak today. I know it's a busy time. You have a lot of balls in the air right now, so a big welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Celeste, for having me here. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you in this conversation. I do not take it lightly when someone offers um, me to be a part of their platform and just serve in any capacity. So thank you humbly for allowing me uh, to join you today. Yeah, I love that energy. Let's start by having you introduce yourself. So tell everyone who you are, where you live, and what you do. Sure, sure. Uh, As you mentioned, my name is Dr. Sean Woodley. And I am a speaker, I'm an author, I'm an educator, but first and foremost, I am a husband, I am a father, and I love all things just personal growth, um, professional growth, like that is just everything that I do. I I am the CEO and founder of the educator movement, Teach, Hustle, Inspire. Um, The teach is about how we unlock intellectual treasure. The hustle is about how we can't stop and won't stop learning, promoting continual growth. And the inspire is spreading love and light as educators. Um, This is a movement that I started, which springs off of my work in the classroom. I taught for 15 years. I taught 10 years at the K-12 level in urban schools. And then I was a university professor for five years. Um, Now, because my schedule has just gotten so heavy with traveling and speaking engagements from the book that I wrote um, and the work, the continued research that I do, it just kind of presented me with an opportunity to do this full time. And it just became overwhelming to kind of balance both. I was balancing both for quite some time, speaking and teaching full time, um, but it just became overwhelming. So now I still teach, if you will, but I just teach from the stage. I teach in workshops and I teach in you know different capacities at the school and organizational level. You have a bigger classroom now. You have a bigger student body, and I think that yes. that is pretty powerful. I found you on Instagram, and that idea of spreading love and light is so clear in the work that you're doing in that space and the you know, community that you're creating there. And I wanted to have you on the show to talk about what you're cooking up right now. Well, I, I assume it's already in the oven, and it's just about to pop out the uh, Build It On The Side program that you have coming up. I mean, I think that this, what you're doing is so needed right now because everything happening in education, it seems like the dial has just been turned up and we're all feeling how poorly funded Mm -hmm. and, you know, really, truly unsupported 
teachers are in schools. Can you tell us a little bit about Build It on the Side and how that is designed to support teachers in this chapter of education? Absolutely. The event that I'm facilitating Build on the Side is basically about supporting teachers, specifically educators um, at all levels, classroom support professionals, administrators, and the like, to really equip them with the tools, techniques, strategies from people who have been where they are in earning extra income, essentially. Entrepreneurship as an educator. There are so many different avenues that we can use. Like I pretty much my entire time teaching, I always had some sort of a side hustle. Um, I was a DJ for quite some time. I was also a working musician for quite some time. And then I started to transition into the speaking side, facilitating workshops, keynotes, things of that nature. And what you begin to realize very quickly, if you have ever dipped your toe into the entrepreneurship pool, is that there's a lot of stuff we just don't know. We are very, very good. We have the content expertise unmatched. We, we are the cream of the crop. We know what it is that we need to do. We know the messages that we need to deliver. But how to do that in this entrepreneurship space is a completely different animal. How do you market yourself? How do you design workshops that take advantage of adult, um, adult learning uh, fundamentals to keep them engaged? How do you follow up? How do you secure clients? How do you contract with clients? I mean, building a website. There's just all sorts of angles, things, this, that, that you no one ever tells you. And so I designed this with the understanding that number one, we are busy. We are educators, we are parents, we are husbands, we are wives, we're, we have a whole bunch of different titles. And so Build on the Side is really about how can you build not just a business, but how can you become an entrepreneur with a successful business while still working full time? Each and every one of the speakers for this event, we have 15 different sessions, and each of the speakers for this event um, are or have been educators that were full-time educators and have built successful businesses. We have everything from people that are current speakers, people that have developed content and created courses. We have um, some speakers that have developed products and sell things on Teachers Pay Teachers. Uh, one of the sessions talks about how one of the teachers developed products to help with her kindergarten and first grade students and made $20,000 in the first year of doing that. Now, I don't know you know, what the average person's financial situation is, but I think it's safe to say that an extra $20,000 over the course of a year would help significantly. And it's just a matter of, you know, there's a lot of questions. Well, how the heck did you do that? How can I do that? And that's the reason that I created this event. Hmm. Does it make you mad at all to think about how poorly paid teachers are? And, you know, I feel like there's, obviously a market for this teachers need to have higher salaries like do you think that this would be a thing if teachers were just paid adequately for their time yes and no to, to answer your first question yes it is quite upsetting because it almost it's it's almost disrespectful to say oh, no it is essentially disrespectful because i am of the belief that educators we have the most important profession on the face of this earth 
Like there is not a person, place, or thing that you can point to that has not been influenced in some way, shape, or form by an educator. And I'm not here to argue that with anybody. Like we are that important. It's not so, arguable. <laughs> yeah. at, exactly. So the fact that we are not compensated to reflect that is disturbing and disrespectful to keep, to be frank. However, let's just say that we were compensated in a perfect world. We were compensated for our value. I still do think that there would be a need for something like this because there are so many people who have endeavors, who have products, who have services that can bring value to the world in other things. And it just, they have so many questions as to how to do it. Because even if I was in the perfect situation teaching perfect school, perfect salary, perfect students, and I know that I, on the side, I have this ability to, and I've, I've heard this and, and it just blew my mind. I have the ability and it brings me joy to grow succulents and plants. There was a woman that I did research on who she started a business. She was not an educator, but it relates to this. She started an entire business online helping people to grow plants and succulents in their home. Like I'm a newly plant dad, if you will, and I'm struggling to keep these things alive. That is something that I would find valuable. This, there are opportunities for people to create. There are opportunities for people to serve. There are gifts, talents, skills that we all have that someone else needs. The problem, what I've found a lot of times, is that we underestimate it. We think because I naturally have a gift at something that everyone else can do it too, and that's not really, really not the case. So when people begin to discover wow, there is a need for this skill and ability that I have. Now we, now we put them in a position to market themselves and to be able to say, here are the steps that you can take to get your message out to the world and help and serve others. And you can also profit from it. Mm, I love that. And I think like what I hear you saying is that we often do these things on the side anyway, these things that bring us joy, you know, Oftentimes, teachers' hobbies exactly. are doing other teacher things, like having a teacher podcast or you know creating exactly. content for other teachers. We might as well mm -hmm. figure out a way to bring some abundance into our life doing that thing we love. There's so much power in what you're saying, Sean. Thank you. And and you know what? I, I'll go ahead and and address the elephant in the room with regards to that too, because what and this is something to be quite honest with you that I struggled with for a while too because we've almost been, for lack of a better phrase in the moment, conditioned to take meager wages and, and take less for our value, we almost feel bad when we have opportunities to live in abundance and make more money. It, it almost feels that there's this pervasive narrative of why, why are you trying to make more money? Like you don't need extra money. And, and there's this almost guilt that comes along with it too. And to be honest, again, that is something that I struggled with, that I had to kind of realize that it's part conditioning of just imbalances in the world. It's, it's part of a limiting mindset. It's part of just adopting beliefs that don't really serve us. There are so many different reasons for this. And I had to kind of coach, and I still am, to be honest with you, coaching myself to get out of that thought process to understand that it is okay to live with a certain level of abundance, because now this puts me in a position where I can help even more people.
I can now use this expertise to 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 lighten the burden for someone else. And there are just so many different ways that I can leverage the level of abundance to serve and to continue to serve. And I don't have to feel guilty about that. Neither do you. Not you, but the proverbial you, you know. Mm, That's so important because I think that that is so much more true in education. Like in other professions, they wouldn't question the idea of making more money because we have this myth of we do it for the children or we do it for the love. And at the end of the day, you also need to pay your bills and you also need to save money for retirement. And you also need to treat yourself and go on vacation. Like we need to have all of those things. We can do it for the kids and deserve decent salaries. Mm-hmm. Can we like go back to that idea of the myth though? Like, you know, why do you think there is this pervasive myth of needing to be self-sacrificing in education? Like, can we unpack that a little bit? Sure. If you really think about the nature of being an educator, it is to serve. It is to serve and give. And with that, we give, but almost to a fault. And there is an extreme level, in my opinion, imbalance. And it's an imbalance because a lot of the times the way that we are taught and the way that we teach a lot of the way that we are taught when we are in the classroom setting from the student side, and then the way that we are taught to teach, for many of us, when we get into the classroom, we find out that those skills aren't exactly transferable with, number one, the modern student, if you will, them being digital and technology natives, also cultural differences, because for many of us, we aren't equipped with the tools to teach students that may look at the world differently than we do. So now we have this idea that, yes, I want to serve. Yes, I want to be an educator and I want to make a difference in the world, but I'm ill-equipped. So coupled with the fact of the nature of the profession to give, we give it, we give with things that are not working. So we continue to give, never really getting the tools that we need to teach and create balance and alignment with solid instruction now it becomes, instead of a giving, we've now Im- crossed this imbalance to self-sacrifice and teacher burnout and on top of all of the other things that we have to go. And it creates this cycle. It creates this harmful cycle that leads us from the second day of school looking towards Thanksgiving break. And then the second day after that, looking towards winter break. Now that we're getting back with the timing of this, winter break is over. Get back in there. We're excited. Now, two days later, now, when is summer break? It's just this perpetuation of just things that we have not really found answers to. That's that's what I live to do. That's what Teach, Hustle, Inspire is all about. It's about how can I equip teachers with the tools that they need to really build off of the skills that they already have, but to create balance in the classroom. Mm. When you were a teacher in the classroom, how did you personally manage that narrative of being self-sacrificing and just doing it for the kids? Like, how did you grapple with that when you were teaching young people? When I first started, I didn't actually. Um, When I first got into the classroom, the school that I taught at was an urban school and it, the demographics of it were most of the vast majority of the students were African-American or minorities. So when I had the interview for that school, 
it was my first teaching job. I was very excited about it, got offered the position. And I started telling some of my friends, you know, I got the call. I hung up the phone with the principal, started telling some people I'm going to be teaching. Where are you going to be teaching? And I told them the name of the school. And from the name of the school, they knew a neighborhood and just all sorts of just, are you sure? You know, that's really not the best thing. I got those types of responses. And so I'm 22 years old at the time and I'm taking all of this in. And I'm like, okay, all right, I, I need to be prepared. This is clearly a quote unquote bad school. And so me taking all of this information in on top of the fact that when I was actually offered that position, it was in October. This was not over the summer when most teacher interviews and job offers take place. This was because a vacancy was now open because there was somebody in there that no longer is. So in my mind, they just ran that teacher out of there. And I'm being warned about the kids, those, those kids in this neighborhood. So I go in there from day one and I try to assert this authority. I go in there and I try to teach in a very direct, very stern, very, I need to shut things down type of manner. And that is exactly what I did. So for the first two years of teaching, I was very like, you know how you have you ever heard that phrase? Don't smile until November. I took it too far. Just know that I took it way. I, I took it way too far. And I got a phone call. And around my second year of teaching from one of my students, parents and said, my daughter is literally scared in your classroom. That is something that shook me to my core. Because it is not the type of person that I am. It is not the type of classroom that I would want, even though I didn't have children at the time. I wouldn't want my children in my classroom at that time. So that was a very rude awakening for me. It allowed me to put things in perspective and do some, take some self inventory of how I can improve. How could I really create this environment? Because in, in my mind, thinking hindsight being 2020, that was self-sacrificing for me because I was I tried to fit into this narrative of who I thought those kids needed and I was not being myself. And it was painful emotionally for me to go into that classroom every single day because I was not living in my truth of who I was. And so what that allowed me to do was to be able to take some honest assessments of what it was, who I was, and what I was trying to do for students that looked like me. And I had to go back to the drawing board, break it down to build it back up. And that is exactly what I did. And so I began to have some success. It wasn't immediate, but I began to have some successes, help others be successful. And that kind of started my journey to becoming the researcher and speaker and author that I am today, because we I mean, we had some phenomenal results, state recognition, awards, things of that nature, like just simply from the changes that I made and I wanted to help others do it too. And what I found is that in this work, you know, we're getting in the classroom and we're just, we're swimming uphill every single day and that wears on you. It wears on you and wears on you. And here you are thinking and trying to do the best that you can, not realizing, all right, I don't have the tools. I, I just don't have all of the tools. So I just, I'm on an everyday mission to help educators just be the absolute best that they can be because it is my core belief that I, I have no choice that to, but to believe that everyone that is in the classroom wants what's best for those students, but we just may not know how. There's something really powerful about what you're saying because I feel like my 
my story of self-sacrificing is, you know, what you said earlier, that's like giving, giving, giving. But what I'm actually hearing you say in your own experience is that self-sacrificing can also mean not bringing yourself to the classroom. Is that part of what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get so much more out of this role and this relationship with your students if you can bring yourself into whatever you're doing. And, you know, like, I think that this is obviously a huge reason why you've been so successful in your career. Like your, your work around actually bringing yourself as a DJ into the classroom, you know, and I, I think that this is such an important thing. Like you've written about MC means move the class and you're like, you're bringing yourself as an entrepreneur into the classroom. I think you know, like I want to hear more about how you saw yourself bringing in those different parts of yourself into your classroom. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. It it was a struggle at first because I worked very hard to create almost different profiles of myself. I had Sean that was in the classroom. I had Sean that was outside of the classroom. And then even Sean that was outside of the classroom, I had Sean that was with his family. And I had Sean that was a DJ. And then I had Sean that was a musician. And then I had Sean that was an aspiring entrepreneur. So I I felt that I was expending a lot of energy trying to live these different profiles. And what I began to discover is that especially Sean that was in the classroom, I tried to kind of put on this persona where I just differentiated myself. And it was, it was, I mean, I'm just leaving the classroom tired every day. Like I'm, I'm having this revelation about how I need to be more of my personal authentic self. But in this, I had to get comfortable with just really being who I am as a person in the classroom. And it took some practice. It took a lot of vulnerability. I had to bring I had to be comfortable being vulnerable with my students. I had to be comfortable being vulnerable with my colleagues. And I I kind of just began to experiment with little things, little bit by little bit, until the point where I got comfortable living in my truth of who I was. And that's when teaching got fun for me. I began to be just more of, I have a very, I'm very, very people pleasing, very people oriented. I, I like just like if I'm in a room full of people, once I kind of get the lay of the land and get comfortable, I'm hey, how you doing? My name is Sean. Nice to like I'm I'm all over the place with it, and I began to treat my classroom like that to be more of my natural self, my more creative self, and I really started to have fun, and and that unlocked opportunities for my students to be their their authentic selves as well. That's when I really got to know them and connect with who they really were, with who I really was. Now I'm building, not just creating learning experience, but I'm building efficacy with my students because now they know that I believe in them and the belief is authentic. And because I believe in them, they believe in themselves. Now I have more effort. Now I have less discipline issues. I still had discipline issues. You, you, you always will. But I, when, when it came time for just things like you know, consequences to be issued, I had less resistance because they knew that I was coming from a place of authenticity and it was for their best interest. It it just, it, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it just unlocked so many other things. So with Build It on the Side, we're training people to think about entrepreneurial thinking. How do you see that 
may affect people in their classroom practice. So let's say somebody is, you know, using some of those ideas to build their business on the side. How do you see entrepreneurial thinking shaping actual daily classroom practices? Two ways. I had a conversation with um, a school principal and it, it was a very interesting conversation because I was quite frankly surprised that he saw what I saw in this opportunity. His idea was, and I'm, I'm so glad that he saw this from my perspective, if I can equip my educators, my teachers, with something that can help them to create more income, it can alleviate some of the stress. It can alleviate some of the lack from a space that I can't do anything about. Yes, he's the principal, but he can't control their salary. This, this, that's, that's just out of his hands. But if he can do something to help supplement them, now this puts them in a space where they can fill some of those gaps, alleviate some of that stress and be more present in the classroom. I, I, I'm so glad that he's, because that is one of the back end benefits, if you will, for the reason, one of the reasons why I'm doing this. And he saw that. So I was glad to see that that message is coming through. So that's one thing. On the other side of that, in my own growth as an entrepreneur, still an educator, but as an entrepreneur as well, what this has forced me to do is to change my thinking. I had to change my thinking in order to grow and get out of my own comfort zone to understand that there are certain things that limiting, limiting beliefs. There are many, 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 many limiting beliefs that we all have from various aspects of our lives, whether, whether it's how we are raised, what we've learned even as adults, and getting through those limiting beliefs to excel as an entrepreneur directly correlates to the success that you can have in the classroom because it can help you to identify and or remove limiting beliefs that can keep you from being successful as an educator and other areas of your life. If you can identify and remove limiting beliefs from being an entrepreneur, you can do it to, for being an educator, you can do it for being a, a spouse, you can do it for being a partner, you can do it for being a, insert X, Y, and Z. Thank you for saying that. I think that, you know, just that idea of putting yourself in that learner's yes. mindset as well, you know, that really changes who you are as a teacher. It puts you into that place of remembering, you know, vulnerability, like we said before, but also just growth and learning and checking your underlying beliefs about the world. Like that's really powerful for all of us to stay in that place. Uh, so you've spoken before about how being a DJ before becoming a teacher helped you to see your role as something more of an edutainer, like an entertainer and educator combined. And it's your responsibility to move the class. So if you had a magic wand and you could mm -hmm. change teacher education everywhere in order for more people to see themselves as movers of the class, what would you do before people even got into the classroom? Sure. I, I think it's important to really think about the learning experiences that you find valuable. Take yourself right now, even as adults. One of the things that I very clearly recall, and I have this conversation with, with other educators quite often, is many of us do not like boring professional development. We have to, we know that it is a, a needed part of our growth. And to be honest, recertification, you have to have all of those hours. And when we get into those experiences, we are judging 
whether it is a keynote speaker, a presenter, workshop facilitator, we are judging that person on how well they can keep us engaged. Where some of us just come in there and we're just like, let me see, are you going to actually teach me anything? And we already have it made up in our mind that I'm going to come in here with my laptop and do other things that because I just know that this is not going to be, we, we do that all the time from quote unquote, that student perspective. So we have to have, we have to keep that same energy when we're in the classroom. We have to make sure that we are providing an engaging experience for our students. If I can wave a magical wand, it would be to really help educators across the country understand that one of the easiest ways to engage students is to understand them. I, I use the analogy of knowing your audience. Like for example, when I was a DJ, one of the mistakes that I made, and this was a tough lesson, but I learned it very quickly, is that you cannot DJ all events the same exact way. You have different demographics, you have different people that like different tastes in music. So I could not DJ a birthday party for a 25-year-old the same way that I would DJ a retirement party. And I did that one time <laughs> and learned very, very quickly that there are extremely different tastes depending on how you see the world. It's going to influence the kind of music that you expect to hear and that you can relate to. Same thing goes in the classroom. You cannot just have this one-size-fits-all approach in education and teaching. And one of the easiest ways is that when you know your audience, you know who is it, who it is that is in front of you and who you serve, when you understand them at a cultural level, you put yourself in a position to really even the odds. One of the big misunderstandings about that though, is many of us, we don't really understand what culture really is. We think of culture in the sense of food, clothing, language, and or dialect, music, very observable things, which is a part of culture, but it is a limited part of culture. Many of us do not understand culture below the surface where emotions and how we learn come into play. And what you really begin to understand is if you want to know how to engage someone, understand them at understand them at a cultural level, because engagement is, is basically a reflection of motivation. And when you understand what motivates someone, you realize that that depends on what they value and what people value depends on them, their culture. So again, if you, if you want to engage them, you have to understand what motivates them. And to understand what motivates them, you have to know what they value and what they value oftentimes is determined by what their cultural beliefs are. Mm, that's really, that's really important. I could listen to you talk all day, and I'm sure that many people listening to this now want to be able to participate in more learning with you. So how can people sign up for Build It on the Side? Tell people how to find you and how to register. Sure. Um, the conference is, uh, all information is available at buildontheside.com, buildontheside. Or um, you can find me on social media, pretty much the hashtag Teach Hustle Inspire should lead you right back to me. On Instagram, I am at Teach Hustle Inspire, or and Facebook at Teach Hustle Inspire. On Twitter, I am available at Sean Woodley. Teach Hustle Inspire is too long. We're going to close off with the ticket out the door. Are you ready for some random and silly questions? I am ready. Let's do it. What is something you're grateful for right now? My family being safe. Hmm. 
first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Oddly enough, which is a bad habit, check my phone. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most common answer, so you're in good company. What is the last thing you do before you go to bed? Watch TV. Mm -hmm. What is the most recent TV show you binged and loved? Oh, it was the Kevin Hart show on Netflix. I can't think of the name at the moment, but it was like a limited series, eight episodes or so. Um, I cannot think of the name, but it was really good. I, I enjoyed it. I can't think of the name either, but we'll have to, I'll put it in the show notes once I Google it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pie or cake? <clears throat> um, cake. Beach or mountains? Beach. Spring or fall? Spring. What would be your last meal on earth? Oh, um, probably a good prime, a a good ribeye steak and some mashed potatoes. You are opening your own K-12 school. Who would be your first three dream hires? Oh, um, that's a great question. I would probably have to say... Coming, coming top of mind, I would hire, my brother is a fantastic educator. He's in the Maryland area. I would also hire, um, I'd probably say Ron Clark. I'm a Ron Clark fan. Um, uh, and I would also hire, so there are so many good educators that I know. I'd probably say off the top, I'm uh, one of my one of, one of the people that I follow on Instagram and I, um, she follows me as well. Her name is Naomi O'Brien. She's a fantastic educator. I would hire her most definitely. I love that. The last question that I ask everybody on the show, and you can come at this at whatever angle you want or however deep you want to go with it. What is the future of learning? The future of learning <laughs> is is going to be whatever we make it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, however you want to think about that. And it, it really is just going to depend on how good we get at taking the evidence of what works and what doesn't work and applying that information. Take that how you will. That is the first time I've heard someone say something like that. And I think that it is a perfect note to end on. We are the future that we want to create. Dr. Sean Woodley, you are seriously just a gift to this profession. And I'm so happy that you're doing the work oh, that thank you're doing. You. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you. And, um, and, and again, thank you so much for allowing me to share this space with you. I, I'm honored that you thought enough of me to have me on your show. Thank you so much. If you are inspired, and who wouldn't be, from listening to Dr. Sean Woodley, definitely check out his conference, Build It On The Side. This episode is released on a Tuesday, and it's running this coming weekend, January 8th and 9th, 2022. So if you're interested, act on it, claim your spot, get in. You can also find Dr. Woodley on all the socials and follow him there. Everything he posts is pure gold. You will love him on that space. One small act of kindness that you can do to support the Teaching Tomorrow show is to fill out a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to share what you think about the show. And of course, you can also follow and reach out to me on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow for a more in-depth conversation and to see some of the behind the scenes of the show. 
That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep teaching, keep hustling, and keep inspiring. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.